0: Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Sarah Fenske. Last night, Senator Kamala Harris took the stage at the Democratic National Convention, a stage with a virtual audience, but a stage nonetheless.
1: Greetings, America. It is truly an honor to be speaking with you tonight. That I am here tonight is a testament to the dedication of generations before me. Women and men who believed so fiercely in the promise
0: of equality, liberty, and justice for all. In accepting her party's nomination, Senator Harris began a new journey. And she also marked the culmination of one of the longest and perhaps most crucial vice presidential searches in the nation's history. And joining me today to talk about it is one of the nation's foremost experts in the vice presidency. Joel Goldstein is a professor of law emeritus at St. Louis University School of Law. He's also the author of The White House Vice Presidency: The Path to Significance, Mondale to Biden. Joel Goldstein was welcome to the show.
1: Well, it's, uh, thanks for having me, Sarah. It's good to be with you.
0: So what made this year's vice presidential selection so important and so dramatic?
1: Well, I think it, it was uh, unique in the fact that, uh, that Vice President Biden uh, s- stated at the early point that he was going to select a woman as his running mate. Um, and and that both narrowed the the Pool of, um, of potential candidates, but it also focused um, attention on a, a number of, uh, of able women office holders and, and um, people who've aspired to office or have held office uh, in the Democratic Party. Um, the, the selection went on, uh, as you said, for a long period of time because Biden really clinched the nomination early and the convention was relatively late. Um, So there was a a full vetting and a focus on on the selection. And ultimately, um, um, he made a historic choice. It's the first time that a major national party has uh, selected a woman of color to run uh, for vice president. It's also the first time, although it's the third time, that a woman has been selected to run for vice president. Um, It's the first time that a ticket uh, that is perceived to have a very good chance of of winning um, has selected a woman as the running mate. So Mm -hmm. it's a historic moment in American history.
0: Do you think Biden's age also played a role in heightening the stakes, that all of us are conscious that there's a chance that Kamala Harris could have to take over?
1: I, I think that the fact that in this election, that both Vice President Biden and President Trump are the oldest two presidential candidates that we've had in our history, um, raises the possibility of uh, succession to some extent. You know, for a period of time, really after uh, the Harry Truman uh, succession in 1945, the role of the vice president as the first in line of succession, the heartbeat away, was really the principal role of the vice president. What's developed um, since the Walter Mondale vice presidency is that the vice presidency has really become a very consequential job. So even for vice presidents who never become president, it's still a very big deal to be a vice president. So in either case, I mean, the possibility that that Senator Harris um, could be elected vice president um, is is very significant. Um, and in addition to the fact, the fact, just the fact that we've in 58 uh, elections, we've always elected men to our major national offices. This could be the first time that a woman is elected to a national office would be a historic moment. Mm
0: -hmm. So why do you think it was Senator Harris? How how did she beat out all the other women that Joe Biden was considering for this job?
1: Well, I think that there there were a number of people um, in contention. I think that Senator Harris uh, had the advantage of you know, she been a United States senator um, prior to this selection. Fifteen of the last eighteen Democratic vice presidential candidates have been uh, have been uh, senators. Hmm. Um, the, uh, the not only was she a senator, but she was a senator who was viewed favorably enough so that she was a presidential candidate. Um, And and she was a presidential candidate, not simply because she wanted to run for president, but because she was perceived as being somebody of that caliber. Um, I think she was viewed as somebody who would be an effective uh, campaigner. Um, She had been uh, sort of acquitted herself uh, as an able uh, questioner of Supreme Court nominees and of Justice Department officials. Um, and and so I think the fact that uh, all of those things I think were among the factors and then I think that particularly after the killing of George Floyd and some of the other um, incidents uh, in the spring and summer that have focused attention on uh, America's continuing uh, problems with race and the racial injustices, I think that there was a significant um, Move to uh, that it would be desirable, if possible, to have a woman of color on the ticket. And I think so, I think the confluence of all those factors. Led to um, Senator Harris's selection.
0: I'm looking at one of the other finalists for the job, and that's Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who obviously has a very critical state uh, that she represents in this election. If this comes down to a single state, if he loses by a Midwestern state or two Midwestern states, do you think the fact that he chose a Californian will be perceived as a strategic error?
1: Um, I I don't think so. You you know, one of the things that's interesting about vice presidential selection is that we we always talk about uh, should a particular presidential candidate uh, choose somebody from a big state or a big competitive state with a lot of electoral votes. And if you look at the the recent history, vice presidential candidates are almost never chosen for that reason. Um, The principal factor in choosing a Vice presidential candidate is choosing somebody who is perceived to be president, uh, perceived to be qualified to be president, and who whose selection will send positive messages about the presidential candidate. Um, You don't want the message to be that you've picked a a running mate because you thought that he or she would help you carry, you know, Ohio or Pennsylvania or some big state. Hmm. Um, And so I think that that. that uh, you know, people will say what they will, but um, b- but but I think that uh, the selection of Senator Harris was a very well considered one, um, and, and I think that reflected a determination that she was the person who was best able to. Uh, to help achieve the success of the Democratic ticket.
0: So if people are choosing people just based on the delegates that come with their state, that almost is perceived as, as looking too desperate or maybe too Machiavellian. You're saying candidates don't generally do that these days.
1: That, well, that, that's right. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you go back and think about the, the instances, there have been so many times, I mean, Joe Biden is, was selected by Uh, by then-Senator Obama, he's from a state that had three electoral votes. Dick Cheney from Wyoming, three electoral votes. Sarah Palin from Alaska, three electoral votes. Joe Lieberman from Connecticut, eight electoral votes. There are lots of times where, time and time again, presidential candidates choose people from smaller states. I mean, Paul Ryan from Wisconsin with 10 electoral votes Um, You know, it wasn't with the expectation that he was going to carry Wisconsin, Mm -hmm. but in any event, he was chosen over Rob Portman from Ohio with significantly more electoral votes. And, you know, that story uh, repeats itself again and again. Uh, Presidential uh, candidates don't choose running mates uh, to carry a big state. We've never had a running mate from Florida. Hmm. We've never had one from Michigan. Haven't had one from Pennsylvania since um, since the 1840s. Um, so uh, it, that's not really the factor that is determinative.
0: Yeah, with that long list you just went through, uh, boy, you made a great argument that some of the conventional wisdom on this one is wrong. I feel like that's something pundits are always talking about. Maybe we should be looking more closely at history. Um, I'm going to get to one of the other myths that you have, have pointedly dismantled. But first, I do want to open up the phone lines. If you have a question about the vice presidency or the selection of Kamala Harris for Joel Goldstein, who's a real expert in this stuff, you can call us at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Or you can send us a tweet at STL on air. I think we're also kind of curious to hear from you. Do you think this is a good selection? Does does Kamala make you more likely to want to vote for Joe Biden? Um, But Joel Goldstein, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, we asked our listeners in advance um, on social media if they had any questions for you. And Dennis wrote on Facebook something that I feel like I hear a lot, and I'd love to have you address this. He Mm -hmm. writes, there is a lot of debate on the impact a vice presidential choice has on the ticket, and most of it seems to land at the vice." presidential choice doesn't really help or hurt the ticket. I know you have strong feelings about this. Uh, what's your answer to that?
1: <laughs> well, you know, the, the impact of the vice presidential candidate um, is marginal at best. Uh, and, and in part, that's because presidential candidates usually avoid people whose selection is going to be very controversial. Um, but the fact that the choice is marginal doesn't mean that it's not important or that it can't be significant Um, if you look at our elections since 1960 we've had 15 presidential elections and six of them were basically decided at the margins Hmm. so uh, and and this was really implicit in your question earlier about what if they what if michigan's decisive Uh, so if a vice presidential candidate can add a few um percentage points in a particular state are a few states, that can make the difference. In 1976, Walter Mondale um, was w- added a couple of percentage points to Jimmy Carter's uh, total. Um, and Carter won states like Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin very narrowly. Those were states Mondale focused on and where he was popular. Hmm. So I think Mondale's participation made a difference in Carter being elected. Um, the, the, The choice of the vice president also can send messages about the presidential candidate. It's not that we vote for the ticket because, although we can't stand a particular presidential candidate, we love his or her running mate. It's rather that we like the presidential candidate more because his or her selection of a particular running mate gives us information about the presidential candidate, makes us like the presidential candidate more or less. And so that's how I think the vice presidential candidate can make a difference. When, when George W. Bush chose Dick Cheney, it made some people um, uh, more likely to vote for then Governor Bush because they thought that although Governor Bush didn't have national security uh, experience, that he would surround himself with people like Vice President Cheney, who did.
0: Hmm. It's interesting how all that ended up turning out, but that's a story for another day. In terms of this choice of of Senator Harris, um, do you think this is one where this could add those two or three percentage points in in some key states, that this will end up being something that makes people feel good about Joe Biden?
1: Well, I think that, um, you know, we're living in a time where where the electorate is very polarized. Um, And so, um, So that would tend to minimize the likelihood of, you know, of people sort of being on the fence. Um, But on the other hand, I think there's the possibility that Senator Harris's inclusion on the ticket and her um, ability as a campaigner may have an impact in terms of persuading some people who might not otherwise have voted to, to turn out and vote, and that can make a difference. Um, so, I think it could be a, a factor in the, the election. You know, sometimes it's not. It's not always going to be a, a factor one way or the other, but, but I think it could. And I think there's a possibility uh, that it would be this this time as well.
0: We're talking to Joel Goldstein. He's a professor of law emeritus at St. Louis University School of Law. He's a true expert on the vice presidency. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio. That's 90.7 KWMU. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association committed to conservation and careful management of the state's forests to make them more resilient and better habitats for wildlife. ChooseWood.com. And now back to our conversation. We're talking about the vice presidency with Joel Goldstein. He's a professor of law emeritus at St. Louis University School of Law and one of the nation's top experts in the vice presidency. And if you want to join us, if you have questions for Joel Goldstein, or if you have thoughts on the selection of Kamala Harris, you're welcome to give us a call. That's 314-382-8255. That's 382 talk. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. So Joel, I love that this is the area of specialty that you've carved out. Do you enjoy the fact that every 4 years or so there's just so many journalists all across the US that have you on speed dial? <laughs> well,
1: I, I, that's a bit of an overstatement, I think, but but I but you're I, certainly I, very I popular,
0: right? I mean, your byline is everywhere right now.
1: Well, I, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's, um, I really enjoy talking about it. I learn a lot from the questions. And um, it, it's really a, a fun time for me. Uh, I, I, I've i done a fair amount with speaking to journalists from around the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really been, uh, been, been an interesting experience for me. So I've really enjoyed it. I look forward to, to it.
0: How did you end up uh, carving out this specialty in the first place? It seems somewhat unusual for a law professor, as opposed to, say, a history professor.
1: Yeah, it really was sort of an accident. Um, when I was in, in college, uh, 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 I needed a topic for a term paper, and it was right when Spiro Agnew had resigned, and there was going to be the first implementation of the Twenty Fifth Amendment to select a replacement. And mm-hmm. my father mentioned uh, he'd seen something about it on the Today Show, and. I got interested, and in I wrote my paper, and then uh, got interested in the subject, and then that led me to the vice presidency, and I've I've sort of stuck with it, and and you know looked at some of the constitutional questions about it, and looked at it as a constitutional issue, but it's it's been a um, a fun. Ride for me.
0: Wow, there's a warning out there for any college students who are listening. You got to be careful what you choose for your term paper. You <laughs> could get sucked in for life.
1: <laughs> right. Well, maybe they'll get. Maybe they'll they'll get their topics right more quickly than then uh, uh, it's taken me a longer time to sort of figure it out.
0: <laughs> well, it's uh, it sounds like you, you chose just the perfect topic. And, you know, looking back at, at some of these cases throughout history, man, hearing the name Spiro Agnew, that takes me back. I'm sure it takes a lot of our listeners back. Um, recently, we had on the show the author of a new um, biography of Harry S. Truman called Dewey Defeats Truman. And I've been thinking a lot lately about just how monumental Roosevelt's decision to swap in Harry Truman for Henry Wallace. I mean, that just changed the course of history in so many ways. Knowing vice presidential history the way you do, has there ever been a decision that that has had um, equal heft as that one when it comes down to a vice president?
1: Well, um, it, it, it's a fascinating question. I mean, you know, in, um, in 1864, Abraham Lincoln, um, in effect, uh, changed vice presidents from Hannibal Hamlin, who um, who was somebody who I think was was really more sympathetic to President Lincoln's way of thinking, um, and he chose Andrew Johnson, and mm. Johnson was really less receptive to uh, pursuing Reconstruction, and um, and so I think ultimately that was an eventual uh, uh, eventful uh, decision um, when William McKinley um, th- they chose Theodore Roosevelt as his running mate. Uh, with the idea that they would uh, that he was causing too much problem as the populist governor of New York uh, six months later, President McKinley was assassinated, and Roosevelt became president. Hmm. Um, that was another one. Uh, Jimmy Carter's selection of Walter Mondale was a, a very eventful one because Mondale was a person just or is a person of enormous insight, and he really figured out how to make the office into a um, a consequential job, not simply as a successor, but as somebody who would try and help the president succeed. And the model that he created really has been what his successors of both parties have followed. So that was, very significant in terms of the history of the vice presidency.
0: Hmm. Well, you're making a great argument that this is a selection that can have some huge impact, both for good and in in some cases for bad. So that's a a welcome reminder to those who want to say it just doesn't matter. Uh, Let's go to the phone lines. We've got a couple callers interested in joining us. Also, a couple questions coming in by email. Uh, People are clearly interested in this subject. Let's go to Tom, who's calling from Afton. Um, Tom, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air.
1: Yes, thank you. Uh, Lyndon Johnson biographers uh, like to talk about how uh, he was chosen uh, as Kennedy's running mate uh, to bring in uh, votes from the South, since Kennedy was very much a Boston Yankee. And uh, But then he was pretty much sidelined and not much loved by uh, the Kennedy people. Uh, in what cases has the vice president played an important role in governance and... how how do you see that coming? Or what are the situations where that's more likely to occur?
0: Tom, that's a great question. Um, Joel, thoughts on that?
1: And and I think think the way Tom framed it is exactly uh, right about uh, about why uh, Johnson was selected and about his experience uh, as vice president. I think that the, that the, the real big change came with the Mondale vice presidency when Mondale be, uh, and, and President Carter conceived of the office as a general across the board advisor and troubleshooter. And Mondale really became part of President Carter's inner circle. President Carter brought him into the White House, told him he could come to any meeting on his schedule, gave him private uh, time with him every week, and but also told Mondale he could walk into the Oval Office whenever he wanted. Gave him all the documents that Carter got, um, and and Mondale became important. And then when 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 uh, Governor Reagan and Ambassador Bush uh, succeeded them, they really adopted the model that Carter and Mondale had created, and it's really been perpetuated since then. I think that you know that, that you know Al Gore was a very consequential vice president. Certainly, Dick Cheney was, particularly during the the first uh, term. And, and, and then Joe Biden uh, was uh, really throughout both of his terms as um, is, is vice president. Uh, and that was reflected really with the president awarding him the uh, President's Medal of Freedom with distinction at the, at the end. And of course, Vice President Pence, I think, has played a significant role in the Trump administration. Um, he's the chair of, of the task force on, on uh, coronavirus, uh, among other portfolios that he's taken on. Um, And so I think this idea of the vice president as part of the president's inner circle um, is is really taken hold and has stuck. And that's really why I, I titled what I was trying to suggest in the title of my book, The White House Vice Presidency, is that the vice president really has become a very integral part of White House operations, beginning with, with Mondale.
0: Hmm. So this has almost become the new normal. I imagine that's something that Lyndon Johnson would have really liked rather than being sidelined. But, of course, he did get his chance then to run the whole show.
1: Well, and, 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 and actually, uh, Johnson asked for many of the things that Mondale ended up getting. <laughs> and um, and when Johnson asked for those things, it was viewed by President Kennedy and by the people around President Kennedy is just a enormous overreach on Johnson's part. And of course, there was a, a bit of wariness because you know, Johnson had been the sort of the the overbearing but very powerful Senate Majority Leader. Kennedy had been a backbencher. the The reversal in their relations or in their roles was something that was awkward for both of them. Hmm. and they couldn't manage it. Um, and 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 so that was part of the problem. Uh, it was sort of a contrast in a way to the Obama Biden experience, where you know here Biden had been a leader of the Senate had been there for thirty six years, Obama had only been there for four years, and yet the two of them were able to manage this sort of um, change in their um, in, in their roles mm-hmm. in a very different way.
0: We got an email from Steve, uh, who lives in St. Louis, and this is a, a question that goes back in history, but it seems like some important context. He asks, when and for what reason did the vice presidency stop being an elected office?
1: Well, that's that's a good question. I mean, in the, it, it, it still is an elected office in the sense that—, that Will choose the, the the vice president will be ch- determined by a vote of the electoral college, mm-hmm. so that the electors will vote separately for president and for vice president. And in order to be elected uh, vice president or president, you have to get a majority of the electoral votes uh, appointed, which would be two hundred and seventy out of the five hundred and thirty eight electoral votes. I, I think what 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 Steve is is raising is that. At the beginning of our uh, the constitution provided that the vice president was the runner-up in the presidential election so that each elector was given two votes for president um with the proviso that one of the votes had to go for to somebody from a different state from the elector hmm. the pre- the person elected as president was whoever got a majority of el- the electoral votes um, the whoever got the, was the runner-up whether they had a majority or not was the vice president. That changed in 1804. There had been two bad experiences with that system. In 1796, um, we'd had a split party result with Adams from the Federalists and Jefferson from the Democrat Republicans being president and vice president. But then in 1800, Jefferson and Aaron Burr ran on a ticket together. They each got 73 electoral votes. Jeffersons were really for president, Burge were really for vice president, but the electors couldn't um, distinguish between them. So that created a tie and it threw the election into the House of Representatives, where ultimately the Federalists ended up deciding the election. Hmm. The Jeffersonians decided that if they didn't change the system, that the Federalists would be in a position in 1804 to really bargain with Jefferson's running mate to throw the election to him in exchange for concessions. So they got they pushed through the 12th Amendment, which changed to the electoral system that we have now.
0: Hmm. It's interesting to think about the shenanigans that could go on if that hadn't been changed. It sounds like that was a good move on the part of the Jeffersonians. Let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Mary is calling from St. Louis. Um, Mary, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hello. Hi. Uh-huh. How are you today? I understand you have some thoughts on uh, Kamala Harris. Are you happy that she's been selected? I
1: I am ecstatic.
0: Ecstatic. And and what about her makes you so happy? Um, She's overqualified. She has charisma. She has personality.
1: And I think she's going to do a fantastic job.
0: Well, Mary, that's that's great to hear that enthusiasm. And I know Biden is hoping a lot of other voters feel the same way. So so thank you for sharing your perspective on that. Um, Joel Goldstein, back to you here. This idea of Joel Biden having this model relationship almost with Obama, um, he was an enormously successful vice president by, by most accounts here. Do you think that has shaped what he desires in his own vice president?
1: I, I think very much so in the sense that Probably as much as any or more than anybody else on the planet, um, he has an understanding of the vice presidency and a sense of the value that the uh, job can have. And so I think he very much does value the office. Now that's, and I think he indicated in the in the rollout of Senator Harris that just as he was the last person in the room, and President Obama referred to that last night, that Senator Harris will will be the last person in the room that she'll have a voice in decision making and an important voice and a unique voice. I think that doesn't mean that that the that Senator Harris's vice presidency, if they're elected, will be identical to Vice President Biden's, because um, just as, as uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden are different people, so too are Vice President Biden and Senator Harris. Mm-hmm. And so there may be things that, that Vice President Biden as president would do um, differently than President Obama, and he may look to Senator Harris for things different than President Obama looked to him for. But I think in terms of the the consequence significance of the office that that's something he very much uh it, uh, is on his mind and was on his mind in making this election.
0: One last question I wanted to ask you about today, and that's, I think there's sort of a perception among political pundits that part of what made Joe Biden so effective is at the time he wasn't planning to run for president himself. He wasn't a rival. He was thought not to be ambitious at that point. Um, is there a potential concern for Harris that people in, within the Biden camp might distrust her because she's got her future in mind as opposed to being 100 100% on for his?
1: Well, it, it, with all uh, presidents and vice presidents, there's the danger of of conflict or competition or, or, or seeing the vice president as having, um, you know, his or her separate ambitions. And that's a problem that, you, you know, that existed between, you know, Bill Clinton and Al Gore, even though they had a, a, a very good relationship uh, for for most of the time um, and it's something that you know George H.W Bush was sensitive about when he was was uh, President Reagan's vice president so it's not a new um, problem but it is something that that a vice president has to be sensitive about and has to to manage and I think one of the the challenges for a vice president and one of the things that has been true of successful vice presidents is that they've really made it their mission to help make the presidency um, successful? That doesn't mean agreeing with the president all the time. In fact, one of the attributes of, of, of the most successful vice presidents has been a willingness to go in and privately tell the president um, when they think that, um, that that he that he's wrong. So, mm-hmm. but so I think it is a a um, continuing problem that. Um, that presidents and vice presidents have to to, to navigate. It, you know, George, H, George W. Bush and, and Dick Cheney said that the fact that Vice President Cheney didn't have presidential ambitions uh, enabled him to be uh, more loyal to President Bush's uh, agenda. But critics said, well, actually, it didn't work that way, that it because Vice President Cheney didn't need to worry about Uh, having President Bush's support in the future, it made him freer to uh, push for things that might not necessarily have been in President Bush's political interests. Uh, that Vice President Cheney thought were right. So Mm. it it, it can cut both ways.
0: Hmm. Well, it's gonna be interesting to see how these two navigate this new relationship, and and it's gonna be very interesting to watch what happens in the next two months. So Joel Goldstein of uh, Professor Emeritus of St. Louis University School of Law, I wanna thank you so much for joining us today and and sharing your insight.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. I enjoyed being with you.
0: And uh, you have to promise that you're gonna come back in four years. (laughs)
1: I look forward to it.
0: (laughs) Thank you. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU.